0: Hello and welcome to Two Girls in a Pod. I'm Sharon. I'm Christy. So today, for those of you who don't know, May is Mental Health Month. And also, if you haven't picked up any of the subtle hints I've given throughout this podcast, mental health is really, really important to me. Even about loving the job that I do. I really, really, I love it. I love working in the mental health field, but sometimes it's hard. It's one of those jobs that can be very hard and at the same time it can be so rewarding so it is kind of a, a weird thing and <sighs> it made me think one of the reasons we we talked about that this morning was i was listening to for those who don't know naomi judd part of the judds passed away and it was due to a mental illness she talked very openly about her struggle with depression and in that you can see that ebb and flow of that hope through her books and stuff, she had the hope that thing would get better. Then that ebb and flow and then it would drop and then it would go up. and then... And you know one of the things you and I talk about often is that mental illness does not discriminate. It does not care your color, your gender, your social standing, your economic standing, or even how successful you are, or your age. It does not discriminate. And the reason it does not discriminate is because we are all a circumstance away from mental illness. Because that's what it is for some people. It is a circumstance. For you, it was the death of your dad.
1: Right.
0: I mean, would you have ever thought growing up, you know, or early on that you would have ever had something that
1: would take you to that place? No. No, and now understanding just the depths of that and just because and how it played out for me and how angry I felt and all of that, not just a sadness. And it was just so overwhelming. Because you said you saw the world different. Yeah, I felt angry because I I know it didn't make any sense, but I just felt like how could the world just go on like nothing had changed when felt like everything had changed. And you often talked about
0: when you kind of got better and, and things changed for you, that like this curtain or whatever, however you described it.
1: Yeah, it's like, I mean, it it takes time to heal. And you'll always, you know, miss that person and feel that in your heart, I think. But at least it's like a haze that starts to clear. And you're, you're just able to see things a little bit differently and And like I say, it's just a process and it takes time. You know, I think the thing is, is having that early intervention, I think is so
0: important for people. And I tell people, if you're starting to see that with somebody, do something. We get so afraid that somebody's going to get mad at us. Well, guess what? They're already mad. They're already sad. They're already all those things. So what difference does it make? You know, and I. but I know it's hard.
1: Yeah, because I feel like going into that depressive state, yeah. You could bet I was going to be angry if you did try to do something, you know, I was just in such a a bad place. But I'm very, very grateful that you still encouraged me to seek the help that I needed to make the change.
0: Well, because one of the things is, is, and this was the timing was just not great. Not that I think timing for depression is ever great you know, don't misunderstand me. But I think for you, it was so much compounded because, you know, you lost your dad. I got the meningitis. We're doing the flight for life, you know, and they're bringing out the pedals because for me and that overwhelming feeling that you had, you know, and I get that to the thought of losing because I think I'm pretty significant. (laughs) I don't want to overstep
1: my bounds here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, you would be right. And I felt felt like that if, you know, I was already going through the loss of over my dad, and then you were going through that, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And it was just so overwhelming. Well, and I think, you know, and then you,
0: you're in the hospital with me, I can't have any lights on. So you're in the dark.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This whole entire time.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, so there were so many things. And you know, that compounded that. And then when even when I did get to leave the hospital, I was not functioning with all my faculties, I will admit, because things weren't connecting with me. But there was a part of me that was sensing something was very different with you, and and I couldn't articulate it. So I think that also was a little bit of a setback. But as soon as I was able to identify it, Mm -hmm. because I'm looking at you thinking, you're not really an angry person by nature. There was such a degree of anger that happened. And for me, I think that was really the biggest thing in that seeing that shift in you. And But I could also feel your hurt. I really could. I could feel that. And it took you a minute to identify because I would have those conversations with you. And that's
1: what I mean. They're going to get
0: mad at you. And I would have those conversations with you. And you sometimes you would get mad at me.
1: Mm-hmm. And I really think I thought I was just sad over the loss. And so it's like getting into that depression can kind of happen without a person even truly comprehending what's happening to them and going to that place of anger. But not only that, just sometimes just feeling so lost, like, and not even realizing, too, that it was impacting me in my work and things like that. Sometimes I would forget to do things or that. And so it was having another impact, too, not just the anger piece of it. And so, I mean, experiencing depression like that was very eye-opening.
0: Well, and I think it was eye-opening for me in a different way as well, because I was so, you know, I was already used to dealing with people when I went in my office and and dealing with that mental illness on that level, that when it was in my home, and then it helped me to be a better therapist. It really did, because I could then help people identify even More on a personal level, that thing of what the family system feels like in those things that because I would feel a sense of helplessness sometimes because I wanted you to be better for you and not feeling like I had anything that I could offer to make that that sense of helplessness once again. And I think that sometimes when we talk about mental illness, the people who experience it it's horrible for them but it's also horrible for the family system to watch that to see that to feel that and to feel and to know somewhere in their mind that there's there i don't know what i can do to help i don't know because it's not about loving somebody enough it's not about all of those things that we think it is it truly is about so much more than that but i think that the more we can identify it the faster we can identify it the more we can do wraparound services for it, the more successful we become at it. Because I think sometimes in in the case of mental illness, like raising a child, I think it really does take a village. I think it really does take a lot of people seeing that a really good team in place, not just your therapeutic team, not just the medical piece of it, but also that system, that social support system, that support system that is so imperative to helping people.
1: Especially within the family, within the home, everybody plays a part. Absolutely.
0: It was interesting because you said like even with success and we look at that, you know, we've lost a lot of great performers and things like that to mental illness because success doesn't matter. Nothing matters. It is simply the feeling that's being experienced at that moment and, and it's such a traumatic thing. And, you know, we're not just talking about depression. You know, when I talk about mental illness, every I do everything from bipolar. I've had schizophrenics. I've had, of course, PTSD, complex PTSD, and the list goes on and on and on, and even into learning disorders and autism spectrum. It's that emotional state that impacts our physical state as well. It impacts everything. We don't feel spiritual connections, or if we do, they start to be skewed. It impacts the individual on so many, many different levels. And the more awareness I think we can bring to mental illness and understand that it happens, it's more prevalent than we think. And it's not like, oh my goodness, you know, this, that, or the other, that person, because you know, they're poor, they're this or they're, or no, we have to get so past that and get to the place of understanding that we are all capable of helping others. And we're all that circumstance away from that mental illness as well. And it's so weird because we have more mental illness today, it feels like, because I think people are dealing with so many different things. We have changes in our technology and all that that's impacting. We have, of course, we had, you know, the COVID situation. There's so many things that's changing. And, and how do we change with it in a healthy way and in an emotionally healthy way? You know, I think that we talk about technology and people will say to be technologically advanced. But the thing is, is that what are we doing to be emotionally advanced?
1: Yeah. And that's a piece I think that we all really need to work on and especially to be able to set that example for younger people today. Well,
0: because when I was looking at that, when I, and I told Christy, you know, I am so grateful and knock on wood. That in my career, and I'm going in my 23rd year of doing therapy, I am so grateful that I've worked with a lot of people who have had suicidal ideation and things like that. I have been so fortunate in my career. And once again, knock on wood, I've not had any that have committed suicide. And I am so, so grateful for that. I've not even had a lot of attempted suicides in the time that I've done this job, which I'm very, very grateful for but one of my clients who i worked with from the time she was little and then you know i left my job in that and then i saw that she had committed suicide at the age of 16 that was very heartbreaking for me because there was a part of me that saw her potential and then there was that other part of me that would see that emptiness in her eyes and it always and it would make me sad It was trying to figure out how do you help get the emptiness out in order to have something else be put in place of that. Right. So I think as therapists and any therapist out there listening to this, I think that you know, you you know, you know, that you see that you feel that and wanting to really be able to make a difference in somebody's life in such a positive way. That's why I do what I do, Mm -hmm. you know, I, and that's why I love what I do. And I always think any small success is a great success in moving away from mental illness. And and sometimes it's not that we're going to take the mental illness away, but what we do is we help people to learn to live with the mental illness where it is not the thing that is in their face all of the time. It is present, but it's it's still there, but it's so far in the back that they still get to live their life, be happy,
1: reach their dreams, do all of those things Well, teaching them those coping skills that they need to be able to deal with it.
0: You know, and that's why I see, even if, and sometimes, even if you're just feeling down or, you know, or whatever, talk to people. If you're feeling anxious, talk to people. The same way as if you're feeling happy, talk to people. Have that communication so that other people are sharing with you in your joys and your happiness and also sharing in a way... <laughs> you know, in your depression and sadness or whatever, anxiety, share those moments.
1: Mm -hmm. I think that people don't realize that when, sometimes when you are feeling a certain way about something, if you just will have that conversation with somebody, talking it through really does help and sometimes brings clarity that we didn't, you know, realize. You know, I always tell you this, and I'm always
0: so grateful for this, If I'm having something that's off or even if I can't identify it or whatever, if I come to you and I'll just say, I'll just start talking. And it's amazing to me how much better I feel because it doesn't take a lot. And sometimes it might be a five-minute conversation. Sometimes, depending on what it is, it might be a half an hour conversation. But I'm always grateful that you're there to listen and sometimes just expressing it. And sometimes it's not even if you say anything, it's just I express it. And then in my mind, I start to process it.
1: Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Like it, sometimes you just you're having the conversation with somebody and it's not about their advice or anything like that. It's sort of just, I don't know, you're hearing it out loud, your your thoughts about it, and then you're able to let it go.
0: Well, and I think the thing is, too, is when you're holding all that inside and you're, you know, you start to think, well, we start having these this these internal conversations. Well, if I just think happier thoughts, I won't be this way. Well, if I just didn't do this, or well, if I just did this, or we, instead of just simply expressing it and sometimes just acknowledging, and I will just tell you, I'm feeling really anxious, but I don't know why. Just putting the word to it. Mm -hmm. We empower ourselves so much. We empower ourselves so much when we identify those things because they lose, they're scary. Mm -hmm. We don't realize we're afraid. Just like people are afraid of talking about mental illness. Yeah. It's not a dinner conversation sometimes, you know, but it's a conversation I think that has to happen more and more.
1: Yeah. Well, and I feel like that too, I mean, depending on how you grew up, I mean, my awareness of what mental health was not, I didn't really have an awareness of it. I felt so far removed from anything like that. I didn't realize, you know, like some of the struggles that people I knew what they that they were struggling, I didn't realize that maybe it was a mental health issue that they were dealing with. I was so far removed from that idea, I had no idea. But now that we've been together, of course, you're a therapist, so I'm I have a much better understanding of all of that. That's what I mean. I think that it's just completely a foreign concept to some people. They just realize they've they've just been going through these struggles or whatever and not even realizing there's a name for it. And there's a way to identify strengths to combat, you know, the feelings around it. And so it's been a learning experience for me.
0: Well, and I think the really cool thing, too, is that when we are open to learn about things, even though they scare us, talking about mental health, talking about somebody's severe depression or PTSD or anxiety or whatever that is, or bipolar, schizophrenia, and the list goes, like I said, on and on and on. It's not sometimes an easy conversation. It's like, how do you bridge that thing between coddling somebody and giving them the kick in the butt that they need? You know, and as a therapist, we walk that line. How do we know when to say, okay, enough is enough, given that little extra push And then sometimes when we have to just sit there and sit with them and nurture that or whatever that is, because there is that fine line that we walk and engaging it. And we always hope that we do the best that we can and and that we pick the right one. (laughs) But even in relationships, even like with us, I had to know when it was that push and pull because there's that part of me that's still the therapist, but there's that part of me that I just really love you. And I didn't want... I had to make sure that you weren't when I was talking to you, you weren't seeing me as assa- saying oh well, she's trying to be my therapist uh, you know you're just trying to
1: analyze me and yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah no I understand that and that's what I mean sometimes we can look at somebody going through something and we're not able to identify what that is That's what I was saying is like I didn't have a concept of what mental illness looked like
0: and I tell people go with what go with what you're feeling If something doesn't feel normal, and I do that in quotes, those little air quotes, if y'all can't see it, of course you can't. No, (laughs) I just love those little things. The thing is, is that you'll feel a shift. And if that shift, when it happens, doesn't feel like it's within the norm of that person, have that conversation with them. If you're feeling a shift that doesn't feel like within your norm, then stop, sit with it for a minute And if you can't navigate through it, then talk to other people, ask people, I always tell people what's really interesting to me is when people are in therapy, I always tell them the people around you are going to notice the differences before you do. And they often tell me, what do you mean? It's how are they going to notice them before me? It's me. It's because we are so used to living in whatever that is, that that's how we see everything for a while. Other people will start seeing, oh, well, they've smiled more today or you know what? They got up today, or they brush their teeth. And sometimes, when you're in a depression, or and or there's stuff like that going on, it's amazing the things that you realize people stop doing. Something as simple as brushing one's teeth, showering, making the bed, matching clothes, getting out of your pajamas. I mean, right. <laughs> once again, that list can go on too. You never did that. <laughs> oh, thank goodness I kept all my hygiene stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I would have drawn the line. <laughs> Then that became all about me, (laughs) but no, or I should say it can be a very heavy subject to talk about, Yeah, but it is one that I think really is worth talking about. One of the things I've have done in my career too, is the military family life counseling. And one of my jobs was helping with um, deployment and reintegration. And I always told people the deployment part was easier than the reintegration because then how does everybody fit back in? When, you know, a parent's been gone for nine months or a year. Right. Everything shifts. But working with the kids, and, and I really appreciate it because kids can be, if, if you allow children to be honest and not correct them about how they present it or whatever, because they do the best that they can. But children miss their parents and they act out, you know, because they they want something they're lacking and are... Children of military families, sometimes we just think that, oh, it's their way of life, so they're resilient and they're just okay, but they're not always okay. And what I loved about the Military Family Life Counseling Program, or MFLAX is that one of the things that it implemented was group work for them to help them right away before there was an issue, helping them to know that other kids were feeling the way that they were feeling, having us in schools in the CDCs, the Child Development Centers, and I did those. But being able to sit and talk with those kids, knowing when those parents were gonna deploy, so we could bring them in and we could start talking to them, we could help give them education, all of those things, because we what we were trying to do was preventative stuff. Right. Trying to help them to understand, no, we're not different, no, this is you're gonna have a lot of big feelings about your parent being gone or whatever. And sometimes it's two parents, when we have dual uh, families, so the kid would go to the grandparents' home or somewhere else. That's a lot for them to have to navigate. And I think when we look at children today, we are having an increase in mental health but we issues, but we're having a lot of changes at that child level. Mm-hmm. So we have the military thing where, you know, we start, you know, parents started to have deployments longer and longer and longer, you know, especially after 9-11. And so that was a huge thing. You know, we have kids now who we have the electronic era that, you know, a lot of times because of working, and this is not a slam on parents at all, by any means, we do what we have to do. People do what they have to do to survive, to make sure that children are taken care of and all this. So it's not a slam on anybody, but what we do, but sometimes... When you're tired, when you've had a long day at work and you've worked an eight or a 10 hour day or sometimes a 12 hour day and you're getting home, it's you're exhausted. And I think that's the other thing that's really interested about this COVID after COVID is how many people are saying, I will not compromise some things. So, you know, we had that mad exodus out of work and people are wanting to work from home so they can be more involved in the family systems and things like that. They don't have to work as many hours because now I don't have to spend as much on gas to drive five days a week or whatever that is. So, people have had a shift. And I, we don't know what that shift's going to look like yet.
1: Mm-hmm. It's still happening. And, but I do think that there's been a shift starting to happen in priority. And, and I think that's really the important thing is prioritizing those things.
0: We have changing something. So, kids have had a lot of stuff. And we also have a higher divorce rate than ever before. And I always tell people this, I always love this when we're adults, you know, we sit there and, and I've done a lot, I've had a passion for kids and all that. It's only in the last two years that I don't work with kids. So I've had a lot of divorces and a lot of that, And you know, it's the kid coming home and the parent, well, you know, they get home on Wednesday and then, you know, I don't, they, they're not even, you know, it's on Friday, then they start to, these kids are trying to navigate two different worlds. You as an adult get to stay in your world. Mm -hmm. I always said, I don't know, would this lower the divorce rate or lower having children? I don't know which it would be. But if the court said, no, parents, every other weekend, you need to pack your bag and you need to go to the other person's, you guys need to switch homes. And the kid gets to keep the home because that's a stability. But we don't. We expect these children to be okay With, you know, one week here, one week there and all of that. We just expect them and we just say, oh, your children, you're resilient. You're going to do this. No. Yeah.
1: Teaching resilience is an important thing because that's not just something that they just automatically come with. (laughs) So what I do with my parents, and I have
0: some that are, are divorcing now and have kids, I say, how do we start talking with your kids and really helping them with this divorce? How do we talk at their level? how do we help them to understand it's not, it's nothing about them. And the so there's a whole protocol that I do around divorce. And when you have little kids in particular and at different ages and stages of that, because I think it's important because a lot of these kids, because guess what? I'm working with the parents and I will find that some of their issues came from the time their parents divorced, right but now they're adults getting divorced. And some of them will say, and in some of them, they're leery of divorcing because they know what that felt like when they divorced, when they came from divorce. <laughs> so it's just, it's a lot of stuff that goes on.
1: Well, and I think that's why it's important. Like you were saying about doing the whole setup of that, you know, that something like that is happening, be proactive and have that preparation and realize that it's going to take some skills to get through it because otherwise, yeah, you're acting on all the stuff that's happened up to that point. And then you're dealing with behaviors and stuff because you didn't prepare. And that's what
0: I mean with children, because they don't have the vocabulary. Their vocabulary is behaviors. And I tell parents, you're like detectives. You have to figure out. It's like finding all these clues and figuring out, okay, where's this behavior coming from? You add all the clues up and then you get a, a an idea and then you can help with it.
1: Yeah, because they can't really verbalize it. They don't really know what's happening. They just, you know, are acting on this feeling. And so you got to figure it out.
0: (laughs) Well, exactly. And that's why when we worked with the children of the military, a lot of times they were part of the, they were schools on post. So the school already knew that there would be deployments. But if they were off post, then we'd have to let the school know, you know, their parent is deploying. We might see some acting out. What are some stuff we can put in place to kind of help them navigate this? So there's things that we can do that's proactive. What I do with kids of divorce is I try to be proactive. If you know you're going to divorce, what are the things that we can put in place for your children? As an adult, you have much more capability. You have much more cognitive abilities. Even when you we're talking, and I'm not just talking about little tiny children. I'm talking your teenage kids do not have your cognitive abilities, Even though they try to talk the vocabulary and all that, their cognitive abilities are not the same. And the reason why is because their view of the world is only that small view that they have. Whereas when, as we get older, we, we conceptualize different and all of that.
1: I think that's a huge problem like for adults because we're so busy and used to dealing with other adults that we kind of put that on kids and think they have the same kind of reasoning that we do but it doesn't work that way absolutely and so when I work with
0: parents I try to teach them those things that your kid does not think like you they might use
1: your vocabulary sometimes but guess what They're little mini means just like you forgot how to be a kid most of the time a lot of adults it's like they don't know how to think like a kid anymore
0: it's a work in progress with you oh
1: yeah for sure
0: <laughs> I agree And it's funny to me because, and, you know, even like with that, you know, it's like, why do we forget to be a kid? You know what I mean? Being a kid is fun.
1: You get to play fun things. Yeah, but it's like we forget how to have fun, I guess. And so that's why I think it's like, it's hard for us to bridge that gap in our mind. And we start talking to them like they're little adults and they're not.
0: It's true. And then, you know, even when we look at the autism spectrum or the non-neurotypical, like we've talked about, because they view things in such a different way, they have to learn our world because there's more non-neurotyp, I mean more neurotypicals and non-neurotypicals. So it's like they're trying to fit in and they just feel lost. And even with that, I, I've not had anybody yet that is on the autism spectrum that does not have what we call I always think of their the mental illness piece of that as the symptomology more. So it's very rare that I'll have somebody who's just straight autism. They usually have an anxiety disorder or depressive disorder, or some type of mood disorder or that because that is a stemming from the way in which they see the world and, and, and that not feeling like they belong or, or feeling lost or all of those things that are really relevant to our everyday existence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's why we often have those behavioral issues with them, is they're just trying to navigate the world. And it's hard when the neurotypicals don't understand that. They're looking at the behavioral issue and not at the fact that they're struggling. Mm-hmm. And once again, it takes a village just to have that moment of compassion and and that for another human being, regardless.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of the the difference, too, like you were saying about being a circumstance away from mental illness. But there's also those kids that have been diagnosed very early on, you know, and it is really important about being proactive and and helping them to be able to navigate the world because they're going to deal with that throughout their lives, even when you know when
0: you said that about early on, a lot of kids are born with and and using children you know, when they're born with even physical things and then having to, that messes with their mental health because they see themselves as different and not inclusive sometimes. So then they start feeling sad and bad about themselves. So we'll have some depressive stuff. But anytime, you know, when I work with adults, if we have chronic pain, it might be a physical ailment, but what it's doing is create the residual or the symptomology becomes a mental illness. There becomes depressive stuff there becomes anxiety around it you know somebody has a seizure disorder now they're afraid to go out they're afraid to do things so now they have an anxiety disorder because now they start worrying about everything is this going to happen so that's what i mean all of these things tie in mental illness is not something that sits over in the corner by itself Mm -hmm. it's often tied into other things it's tied into those circumstances but sometimes it's tied into our physical health right It's being afraid, you know, your mom, she's fallen. So then now there becomes a fear of if I get up and move, then I'm going to fall, which then prevents you from doing the thing that you need to is to move. Right. So once again, all of those things start to play in that come into play. It's this whole really weird relationship between physical, between our mental, believe it or not, it can even be spiritual. People who lose their way spiritually start to have mental illness. And so I have some who come to me and, and you know, we realize, well, sweetie, it's you don't have a spiritual path any longer. Something's happened there. And then they start to find that. It's like, oh, my God,
1: mm-hmm. who knew this was part of it? And that's what it is. Sometimes people aren't able to identify what the fracture was that happened that created this. Exactly. Because they will not understand. You
0: know, I have a client now who has physical issues. So they sent the doctor referred him to me because they know it's not a physical issue, but mental illness can manifest as a physical illness. And that oftentimes people, I will get clients who are coming to me because they think there's something physically wrong with them. And, you know, then they come to me and they say, well, I don't want this all to be in my head. And the thing is, is it's just how your brain is trying to let you know there's a problem that there's something that needs to be addressed. It's not a negative or a positive. It's just simply your body. If our body will give us little cues and clues to something going on, and it might manifest as physical, that's why panic disorder looks, for people, feels very much like they're having a heart attack. Right. And then you go and you get the test, and it's like, no, honey, you're not having a heart attack. It's anxiety. And, And that messes with people, too, because then it's like, what do you mean I'm having a panic attack? No, this feels very real to me because it is real. Yeah, It's just the brain is manifesting it like that. And it's the brain saying, you're not listening to the mental piece, so I'm going to give you a physical component to see. And then if you're told enough, so then I get clients who come in and say, yeah, I've been to the ER you know, this many times and they've told me it's a panic and I don't want to believe it, but what do you think?
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think it's panic, but... <laughs> Right. But somehow people get the misconception that it's like, oh, that just means it's all in my head. And the thing is, is
0: everything's in our head. (laughs) Right. But it can manifest physically. Anywhere. And I think that's, that's really the thing. Because I think we have such a negative stigma around mental illness. People come in, they don't, and I always love it too, because they're they're like, oh, I don't want to be crazy. And I'll always assure them I will, that will not be a term that will be used in my office. We'll find another term, but not that one. (laughs) You know, no, it's that thing of not wanting that label. Right. And I always tell people it is a freaking illness. It is an illness that we treat. It's not who you are. It's an illness. Mm -hmm. Just like you don't sit there and say, oh, I'm diabetic, Sharon. No. Right. You don't sit there and say, I'm anxiety, Sharon. No, it is a part of who we are. It is not the most important part. Sometimes it takes center stage, but those things, that's important because when people are first coming into treatment, it is center stage, but my job is to get it to move back. Right. And for the other aspects of that person to
1: take center stage. Right. To shrink down that piece.
0: Mental illness I am sure that if you sit there and you think, you know, kind of like with you, if you're not, if you don't have a good awareness to mental illness, if you sit there and start thinking about all the people in your life, you might sit there and say, oh my gosh, that's what that was. That's why that person acted that way. Exactly. And if you already have, and you know the mental illness, then how do we help continue to educate people to not be fearful of it, to step forward and be kind, because sometimes it really is just simple acts of kindness that
1: we do. Well, I think that it helps you to have a little more empathy or or compassion when you realize that that person is coming from that place of that mental illness, that the suffering that they deal with through that, it gives you a little bit of insight, a little understanding.
0: You know, one of the things I appreciate about you too, is that and and Christy can attest to this that oftentimes we can even be at a store. It doesn't matter where we're at. Sometimes it's me getting a massage, getting a tattoo. Doesn't matter. People will just start talking to me and telling me all of their stuff. And sometimes you just have to stand there and it's like, oh God, are we ever going to get to go?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I would imagine you know to have that happen all the time would be very sort of overwhelming, I guess, and that's how it would be for me. Now, I know you being the therapist, you have a different take on it, I'm sure, but
0: I don't know whether it's being a therapist, or I don't know if you know what that would be, if I would be that way. I've always been that way. But I think the thing is, is that even when it happens, I always, always have an conscious awareness to be in that moment. And I always remind myself that this moment is important to that person. If they're telling this story to a complete stranger, it means that's what they need at that moment. And I try to be as gracious as I can, but I also sometimes just want to get to the next door. <laughs> and so I might recommend to them, well, maybe you need to go talk to somebody, Yeah, you know, or whatever that is. But it didn't kill me to take five or 10 minutes to listen to them. And that's what I'm saying. If you make the time, if you don't have the time, listen to them, listen to their stories. You know, when parents bring in their little kids or, you know, doing telehealth, the kids will just get on. And, you know, if uh, I had one, the the little boy was having bad dreams. So he he tells the mom he wanted to talk to me. She goes, do you mind? And I'm there like, well, sure, appointment. No, fine. So he comes and he's talking to me about his bad dreams and he doesn't want to have bad dreams. So now I'm helping him not have bad dreams, even though it was her appointment or I was grateful that she didn't say it's my time. no. It doesn't take long. It took me a few minutes to talk to him. Another one, the little girl was having some bad anxiety about uh, stuff that she couldn't understand. And the mom, well, can you just talk to her for a minute? Of course, because it's still part of the mom's mental wellness as well. Because when now if you're starting to worry about your kids, your mental health is in jeopardy to some degree especially if you have an anxiety disorder, like the two in particular I'm talking about. So, of course, and it it doesn't take that long. And I often have, and will say, well, my kid's having bad dreams, you know, or whatever. Your family is an extension of you, and it's an extension of your mental health. Mm -hmm. That's why it's important to have that understanding and to have that communication even within your system. And sometimes people do not understand what that means. And so I had a family I worked with a long time ago, and uh, she would just say, They don't understand. So I had the family come in, and I'm there like, How do I help them to understand, just get a glimpse of, into her, her daily life of what that looks like? So I had them, I had two stand in the middle, and the rest did, did a circle around them, and I gave each of them an instructions of what that was like the ones on the outside had to keep talking the whole entire time and one was going to talk louder and maybe say some not so nice things and and then all the two in the middle had to do was one had to give directions to the house from my office back to the house that's all the, that's all that was and finally the the one in the middle goes stop i can't understand the directions and the other one, i can't give the directions because there's too much going on in my head i said that's mental illness that's this Client's mental illness, and they're they're like, and look, at it, that's what you experience. Yes, because when we don't know what that experience is, we get ideas. We read, you know, we see little excerpts of things, and but it's on such. It's when we are able to make it more personal for them. It became so much more personal, and I'm so happy she's doing extremely well. She used to have a lot of hospitalizations and all that, and none of that just much doing so much better. And those are the things that are important, helping to to have that empathy, but to have more of an understanding, to take that time to know the people that you love. And when they're going through that, know as much as you can about that illness and about how it impacts the person. Then you are not as angry or upset or, or you start to change too because you will be on edge when that stuff is happening.
1: Right, and when you're able to identify it for what it is, then it it does it helps you to have a little bit of understanding as to why that person is doing or saying what they're doing or saying.
0: Yeah, and I think the thing is is that understanding that, and I always tell people when you have somebody who's suffering from a mental illness, and you're sitting there, or even the person who has a mental illness and says, "I think I need to end my marriage, and I'm going to move away, and I'm going to do all," they're like. You know what, when you make that decision, when you're in this state, you're making it from the state of somebody who's not healthy. So I always tell people, you can always get a divorce later. But if you do it when you're in that heightened state of the mental illness and the person agrees or because they're agitated too, because they don't, because your mood is fluctuating or whatever's going on. Once again, it's a family dynamic thing. You are not suffering a mental illness alone because your system to some degree is suffering with you without even realizing it, they'll start to disengage from you or they, or they start to do too much. I mean, it can be anything. So remember, it's part of a system. It's greater than, than just the one individual. And I think if we start to understand that, and so hopefully today, and once again, because it it may is mental health month, is just bringing an awareness to that mental, that mental health is, a very real issue it's something that is much more prevalent than it needs to be and we become maybe a little more detached from each other or whatever from whatever circumstances there and once again it's not judgment or anything like that but what can we do each individual what can we do to make a difference in somebody's life how do we make that happen and
1: sometimes it's just
0: actively listening to that person and sometimes it's as simple as acknowledging their presence if you see somebody walk by smile good morning Because sometimes just not being invisible to the world and being visible for that one moment can make that difference. Right. And and I'm sure people listening and all that understand that you you do do it and you don't even realize it sometimes, the impact that you've had on somebody's life in such a positive way. But we do those things, uh, you know, just showing that kindness, but also being kind to yourself. Pay attention to yourself. If there's stuff going on, big or small, talk to somebody about it before it becomes greater than you can handle. I always tell my clients, if they, you know, if we're talking suicide, I always tell them, I can help you when you're alive, when you're dead. There's not a whole lot I can do. But give me the opportunity and I'll do the best that I can. I can help make change. You can make change. Death is a final thing that we don't get to change. And I know that for a lot, that's, it's overwhelming and it's daunting to think about change. So like I tell my clients, everything is done in baby steps. Just baby steps. One little step at a time. And then we see how far we get to go with that. But that smile, it's a baby step. All of those things. So pay attention to your own mental health. Love those around you that have mental health. Just love them. Support them. Understand that it's 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 them living it, and it's going to impact you, so you have to take care of you too. Pay attention. Be good to yourself and be good to others. Become more aware of mental illness. It's a scary topic, and sometimes it's a sad topic, but it's a topic that needs
1: to be talked about and needs to be shared. And if you don't feel like that you have that person to talk to, seek someone out. Yes.
0: There are plenty of therapists around to help with this. And there's one that will f- that you can find that will meet your need. Find that therapist that clicks with you. If they don't click with you, guess what? Go get another one. Yeah. It's not about our ego. Find that person that works and resonates with you. Because at the end of the day... It's about you. Yeah. So once again, no, it's a little bit of a heavy topic today, but it is about life. And when we talk about this journey, it's been part of our journey due to your circumstances and stuff. But I'm so grateful that I've been on this journey with you. And I'm so grateful for where we are today because that I think helped me to be a better therapist I think it helped you to have more of an understanding. Yeah, definitely. And it shifted a little bit with both of us. Right. So, as always, we hope that you guys have an amazing week. Be kind to yourself and be kind to others. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.